welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Okay, so I am so glad that it finally worked out for us to connect because I've been trying to get you on this podcast for months, but you're busy, I'm busy, we have things that came up and shifted in, in a new event. I'm glad you're here now. I'm thrilled to be here now. So I am talking with Kelsey Ramsden, who is awarded the title of best entrepreneur, most awesome, rad. Like what's the, of Canada? You're like the queen of entrepreneurs in Canada. That's right. I'm, I'm reigning. No, I, <laughs> I'm like the, I'm like the queen of hearts. Always are my way. And now I'm so, uh, the piece of paper on the wall says I'm Canada's number one female entrepreneur. Awarded to us in Canada by, uh, it's called Profit. It's like Forbes. Okay. Well, I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness because I've never had like a number one entrepreneur on my show before. How does one get to be number one? I think it's a mix of like having a good story that sells magazines. I mean, like, let's be honest. Truth be told. Like truth be told. And then having the financial, having the financial statements to back it up, you know? Okay. So you got to make some money and then have a compelling story. I think that's the idea. You know, I think one of the things that happens for entrepreneurs in this kind of pursuit of notoriety, which can happen, is thinking that our businesses are so interesting that everybody wants to hear about our business. And in my case, that is absolutely not a fact. Like who wants to get excited about building roads and airport runways and bridges? Like uh, that turns me on. Well, people who want to travel probably should be enthusiastic. Yes, but. everyone who wants to go somewhere. But generally, it's like, how exciting is that to talk about? It's not, it's not like we're talking about like Tesla or robots or anything cool. I'm talking about like moving dirt with a big yellow machine. That's how sexy my work is. But it's in all of our stories. Like every origin story of every single entrepreneur has something fascinating and compelling but more often than not, we're afraid to talk about those things because it outs us in some way for either not being perfect, not being the smartest, not being whatever the case. Because everyone I think who made it did so in a transformative moment of like, aha, or oh, shit, or some other thing. And so I think really that's what got me those places is I've always been okay with throwing myself under the bus and just telling the truth. I'll just tell the truth. So one of the things that I've done on the podcast the last several years is spend the summer doing a series of interviews that are called Founder Origin Stories. So I've gotten to talk with folks about some of those yeah. early life experiences. Usually we're talking a lot about childhood, like zero to 18. What are the moments that most shaped you? And I am astounded by the number of entrepreneurs who have had a parent die, who've had a history of being in foster care at some point, who've had a history of abuse, who lived in these like really high violent situations. So I think, you know, there's certainly a body of psychological research that would say high achievers are people who have had a significant amount of adver adversity, but also a significant amount of support. You 
kind of have to have both of them together. Otherwise the adversity kind of, you know, can undo you for sure. Totally. I think that's, as you were talking, I'm thinking about like Marvel and all the origin stories of all these characters that come out. And, and I would entirely agree. I think every entrepreneur that I've got to a reasonable relationship with when you actually get into what's, what's happening or who they are has some kind of origin story that that's a challenge. And they were in the foxhole, you know, they were, they were in battle on their own, figuring their way through a thing. But I think the most interesting piece about that for me was when you talked about the support, because for me, I have the, I have an origin story that's not dissimilar growing up in a way where both my parents were entrepreneurs and, and stuff happens and I wasn't the smartest and you could overlay just about anything you can assume about um, an upbringing that on the outside looked great, but personally for me was really challenging. And, and I developed antibodies to help because most of the help turned out to be not helpful, whether it's people who then betray you or insert thing here. So for me to actually get to the place where I was able to ask for help or even accept help was, I think, the most challenging piece. Fighting my way out of the foxhole is not a problem for me. I'm gritty and determined and I, you know, I could skin a person alive to do it. But when it comes to actually the, the flip side of that, which is ultimately what compelled me to, to my ultimate success was turning that switch on like help isn't weak. Help is actually like strong strength and you can get a lot further together and all those kind of things. And people always said I was like nice bumper sticker, you sucker. But now I, you know, I, I totally believe that those of us who, you know, if we want to call it made it, but just got to a place where things are less turbulent did so because of the support, you know? So you grew up in a place where you, you learned how to fight, you learned how to be resistant, you learned how to be sort of gritty and scrappy. And as you begin to kind of soften and realize a need for connection for relationships, what, what kind of support was helpful to you or what kind of like relational connections mattered most in your eventual crossover into success? So there's a couple things that I think are worth mentioning and, and that I think a lot of people can relate to. One, I had originally surrounded myself with a lot of friends who I still adore to this day, but who weren't necessarily going to call me on my sh- you know, we had great times together and they're lovely. But the first thing was surrounding myself with people who I both equally respected and revered at the same time. So people who would say, Kelsey, you know, you might consider. Uh, and in some cases, I'm a bit of a slow steady, right? I have to be dragged along because I can, I am, I'm definitely the like school of hard knocks candidate. I got, a, I got let in with the highest GPA on School of Hard Knocks. And so when everybody else is doing it the way you would do it, I'm the one who's like, no way. Uh, so, so being surrounded with those people who I respect and, and also kind of have reverence for their uh, opinions and that they would say something was one of the first things. And then the second piece about support, which I was really, I thought I did really well, but it turned out I was really kind of just doing it halfway, was supporting other people. So I'm happy to make connections and do this and do that on a really surface level. I was, I was great at doing that. And I always felt like, you know, a little with my little wand granting wishes, but really what's more beneficial having been on the other side is actual genuine support that is much more human. So connections are amazing, but then following up and saying, how is that going? 
is this still hard for you? What can be, you know, after the two line email is where I really think both being supported and supporting other people, I learned to transform those transactions into real relationships. Real caring where your heart is actually involved. Yeah, but that, I mean, that therein lies the challenge for a person like me, which is trust is something that I had to actually develop. And being willing to actually care for people when there's so much stuff going on and there are a million things competing for my time and for my ego not to take over and be like, I'm too busy for whatever. And and as opposed to witnessing it as a sacrifice of my time, which I used to, and now witness it as an investment in my in my future self, which is an entirely different perspective. What were your first moments of entrepreneurial spark? What was your first hustle? My very first one? Uh, well, of the first I can remember, my brother. So I was seven, so he would have been uh, four. And we lived on the cul-de-sac, so a dead-end road effectively. And so I would go out with him and basically coerce him into working with me, sweeping the street. And we'd sweep this street because it, it up in Canada in the winter – you're left at the end of the winter with a bunch, a messy road covered in sand and whatever. So we'd sweep it clean and then barricade the entrance to the road so that all the adults, when they came home at the end of their work day, would find my brother and I standing there happily charging them to traverse over our beautifully swept street on their way to their own home. And of course, you know, no one refuses the seven-year-old with wide eyes going like, Hey, the, I'll take your change, man. For the small fee of look what the beautiful job I did. And I, I never, you know, it's so funny. I love ignorance in some ways because I had no idea that that was presuming anything or that anything could be anything about that. I was just like, look, if you work hard, you will reap, reap the rewards and you just ask for them. I never had any shame about like literally blockading it off and be like, hi, I did a thing. Give me the money. Totally. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> And now growing up, I think that's one of the great gifts I was given is uh, having started early, never really feeling that kind of pushback of like, I think a lot of people feel the ask for what the value is and what it is that they do is really challenging. Is uncomfortable for people. I think it is for a lot of people. Oh, sure. And I think I was just so, you know, kind of ignorant at seven years old to realize that that was an insane ask. And I was making a lot of assumptions, uh, but the value was there. So I just grew up never having any kind of negative feelings about that at all. What were some of the bigger, harder asks that came later? Or was there ever an ask that you were like, wow, this is hard to get out of my mouth? I mean, with work, I never really have found it too challenging. So I have a core belief that I will outwork anyone, but I think the biggest ask is actually like on the personal side of things, I have a hard time asking. I think I misguidedly at some point created two individual people, this work person and this other person. And so the life person and the work person, because in my work, I had to be very, I'm a 28 year old girl with a construction company and I'm bidding for work and trying to be pretty pretty hard-nosed, right? I'm like, I'm in a man's industry. I am in road building. So so the work part of me doesn't take any shit. Yeah, super tough. Super tough. 
And so I created that, that kind of alter ego, if you will, to, to survive in that and really thrive in it. But that isn't the kind of person that I am as a everyday human with my children and my husband and my friends. And, and so I never really developed a great capacity for asking on the personal side because that was, I was more vulnerable and I didn't have as many successes and I had more hurt and all that kind of stuff. So it took me a long time to come to a place. And really, I think I've only successfully done it probably in the last two years because I'm also a highly emotional person. So I basically have like rage and elation. There's not a lot of like increments in between. Not really. I'm either like full of rage or just so excited. So, um, or full of joy or full of whatever. And so I started doing some work around understanding how to bridge this self. These two selves that you'd cultivated. Yeah. Yes. I'd like to have one self because it's taking a lot of bandwidth to be two people. And so I started just witnessing things, experiences, et cetera, as data points. And I would kind of put both hats on to go, okay, well, if I was my work self, how would I handle it? If I was this other self, how would I have? And what's in the middle of that that is really more appropriate? And so I spent a year, and in fact, this year, my word was student. And so just witnessing and not acting on how I would normally do a thing, just witnessing behaviors and ideas and things as it came to me and then being decisive about how I'm choosing to be. So witnessing the impulse, holding it back, and then creating a little gap where you have the ability to choose. Absolutely. And sometimes I still choose rage or I still choose elation. Sometimes that's the right response. Sometimes that's the right response, but sometimes it's not, you know, and particularly with my kids, I'd say that's, I think, where I've had the greatest illumination has been, you know, and that anyone who has children knows like the minivan morning moment where you're just like, get in the car, we're 10 minutes late. Like, just, yep, go, 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 go. Totally. And, uh, and I can be, I can be, I can be construction Kelsey in those moments where I'm just like, look, we got to handle this. But then I'm, then I look in the backseat, I'm like, oh man, you're like, five they're all scared and, and sad and mopey. Oh, <laughs> that's not awesome. It's working, it's effective, right? Desired result in part, the work result, 100% always gets desired results. But the, you know, the relationship part is harder. So, and I think, I mean, I think you're speaking to something that's really difficult for, for many entrepreneurs, leaders, CEOs, like whatever bucket you put yourself in, where you are good at managing difficult tasks and you hold yourself to a high standard and you hold the people around you to a high standard. And then you like bring that home and with, without being able to shift out of like boss lady CEO mode and become the kind of leader that your children need, then I think all of us, you know, it's so easy to be so unilateral that we expect our children, or our family to sort of like fall in line behind that, that business self. And it usually to great damage. Yeah. I think it does do, it can do great damage. And uh, I can remember my husband saying to me, you have notoriously high expectations. And for a second, if I'm honest, I was flattered. You're like, of course I do. Yeah, that's excellent. And I'm glad they're notorious. I'm glad that everyone knows I have high expectations. And then I was like, wait a minute. I don't think you meant that to me. I think he meant to cause me pause in how I hold 
children who are learning and adapting and growing in the world to some standard that is totally unreasonable for their age or stage or the time of day or in response to me and where I'm sitting, you know. So now I take that both as a, as a compliment and a challenge to have notoriously appropriate high expectations. Yeah. How are you doing emerging these two selves? Because in some ways the separation is adaptive, right? Like you got to go to work and be this kind of person to some extent, and then you got to come home and shift and be this other version of yourself. But it sounds like it felt like those two selves were too far apart in a way that left you feeling fragmented. Yeah. And what's, how's it going to bring them back together? What's that like for you? It's going really well. It's super uncomfortable, but you know, it's like we teach what we need to learn. So through the, like through going through writing the book and all that kind of stuff, we're really focusing on like discomfort being discovery. So as opposed to allowing those like tough moments to be that I could turn away from them or any other given thing, I just really focus on what is it that I'm discovering? Doesn't always have to be positive, sometimes negative, sometimes neutral, but again, kind of coming back to that. Look, I recognize for me that there are, there are aspects of me that do not belong at home and there are aspects of me that do not belong at work. But having the central thesis be the exact same has been really important for me because I can definitely be caused to have the central thesis move, you know, too far into the, into the protectionist hard Kelsey, because that's who got me here to begin with. Yeah. That's the safest version of yourself so far. Yeah. So far. But not. But not. It's adapting. So your book came out last... October, November? Yeah, November. Success hangover. What made you want to write a book? How did that get on the table for you? I never thought I wanted to write a book. And I can actually tell you that after three years of trying to write the book on my own, I was pretty sure I didn't want to write a book. (laughs) You had a lot of data to suggest it wasn't that fun. But you know, the only thing that made me hit play on it really was like imagining imagining me myself sitting in some audience or going through some bookstore when I was in the midst of my success hangover and no one was talking about it and feeling so alone. And I just thought, look, if I can get this through to one person and that person is some former me, whatever the case, why I was repeating in my mind the day the book launched because I was having a crisis of confidence. The, The purpose of the book is to get the highest potential people with drive and and ambition off of the sidelines and back in the game so that we can effectively change the world, which is sounds super grand and flowery and crazy, but really in my heart, that's, that's why I, why I bothered. I will say it it doesn't sound grand and crazy to me. I think by, (laughs) by virtue of where I sit and the folks that I talk with, you know, I talk with the entrepreneurs who are who are struggling in some way or another. And often one of the most vulnerable times, I think, in the life and the mental health of an entrepreneur is right after the sale of a business or some kind of grand success that changes the game for some way. And it's not, you know, it's not usually the slog. Most of us sort of sign up for that. We know that's coming. It's the the like sense of almost like sort of postpartum depression that comes after some great thing has happened. And I think, you know, talking about it 
as success hangover rather than postpartum depression is probably a better market fit. But, <laughs> but I was so happy to hear that you were writing about that because it's, it's so confusing for people when they work so hard to get to the thing and the place and then it doesn't feel the way they thought it would. And it can be really debilitating and really undo great potential in some cases. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, I think anyone who's probably listening to your show, who's, who's had a bit of ambition and is trying a thing will recognize they've had at least one in their lifetime because, um, it's not always, it's when we go to get help for it, when we reach for the Advil of the success hangover, it's when it's a big one, but almost everyone who's driven like that has had smaller, more incremental ones. So my first one was after my undergrad when I thought that was going to validate something about me. And then I got that little piece of paper. I was like, huh, well, that's not it. Oh yeah. Okay. So there's still the money in the house and the accolades awards. So maybe those will be it. And then you get those things. You go, huh, instead of feeling whole, I feel hollow. And then in a sick twist of fate, now everyone can see you. And you kind of have this intro, like I'm Kelsey Ramsden, blah, 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 you know, awards in Canada's top entre- women entrepreneur. <laughs> you have a tagline. <laughs> totally. You have a tagline. You have a Google, Googleable. But then you think, who am I without all this? If this isn't what I always wanted and all the things, and it sounds, um, <laughs> every time I talk about it, it just, it kind of gives me a chuckle because it sounds so self-serving and like, so like, oh, what was me? Who are you with your success? So sad. But it's, but it's the condition of many entrepreneurs. Yes, it is. <laughs> Anybody who's, who thinks that like, just needs to like pause a moment, look inside and notice that that's probably happened. Yeah. And even, and even if you didn't, or haven't yet got to the place where you're planning, you know, but this kind of micro experience of when things get mundane, which can totally happen. That's another form of it. You know, like maybe you're not at the toilet holding your hair back quite yet, but you've got the spins and uh, you know, the entrepreneur spins is like when things get ultra mundane what did you call it? Oh, stuck in the missionary sex. Yeah, that's my of your career. I love it. Stuck in the missionary sex of your career. It's decent. It counts, but it's hardly memorable. <laughs> and uh, and that's it. We can get into those places where it's just like day in, day out, day in, day out. And there's no air in there. And then we, you know, the reason we start these businesses to begin with is because we're inspired, right? We have some spark of inspiration, or if we see an opportunity and we want to act on it or whatever the cause. And uh, either that gets dulled out because, eh, or you get it and you go, what? (laughs) Now what? It's all the now what? It all lands like a great gymnast, strong and hard in big arms. Now what? Perfect 10. Perfect 10. Now go to your vault. So yeah, what what do you do about it? Like, what's the remedy, Kelsey? This would be the natural place to plug the book, but people will buy it if they like or not. So I will share with you like a couple of things anybody can do. And definitely buy the book. Like it's a great book. It's pretty decent. It's done okay. (laughs) In my humble way of saying it's a bestseller. You're proud of it. And I think it's good to be proud of it. And lots and lots of people have purchased it and raved about it. So 
I'm terrible at being proud of things, but that's just, I keep that. So I'm never perfect. So I just like to keep my, don't be proud of stuff. So I can work on that when I'm 80 and I'll always be broken. But the point of it being that the book is kind of a bit of a like story and a guide and a, a workshoppy type thing. So in the back of the book, there's some exercises and people can get them online for free. Don't buy the book if you're not that interested, but just want to do some exercises or buy the book. But if you go to the website, I think the best two, three exercises that a person can do pretty quickly and to move them forward. One is um, the introduction exercise. So it demands of you to release like that, all those parts of your intro and figure out who you are. Ditch the tagline. Ditch the tagline, man. Say it in a different way. Yeah. Because what happens then is we cling to these mountaintops and how are you going to go and climb another mountain? It's impossible. You can't go there without leaving here, but we find so much comfort in having all that social acceptance. So that's one. So what I found for myself is, and what it will transform my intro into, just to give an example is I'm Kelsey, a creator who deeply values intimate connection. And the reason that matters and is useful is that every opportunity that comes in front of me, whether it's investing in a thing or starting a new business, whatever, I know that if it doesn't let me create something, and have intimate relationship either with the product or the people who are involved, it's not going to be a A++++ for me. So that just totally cleared up my path and my way forward. Because then I just started looking for things where I could create and be intimately connected. You no longer have to be a road builder or a mother or a minivan driver, like whatever. You don't have to sort of introduce yourself or tie your identity to these external things, but you're getting to the core of like, what do I really want to be about? And sometimes that can be in your existing business. So it reignited. Like I didn't quit my companies. They stayed exactly as they were. I changed within it. I was like, all right, so in here, where am I creating and who am I connecting with? Let's let's turn up the dial on that. So what's next for me was the same place, but better. So that's one exercise I think is really boss. Another one is, um, it's called a matrix exercise. And basically it's a little bit painful at the start. So like, you know, you may judge yourself and feel terrible, but there's value in that. That is the premise of my business. Thank you. (laughs) It requires us to look at what ingredients we're stocking on our mental shelves. So where are we getting our media? Who are we surrounding ourselves with? What are all the things we're doing all the time? And and so it's it's just a beautiful inventory taking. And then the final thing is the 3E model. So going through this kind of experience. I don't know how much time we have, but are you cool if I do the like a exercise with all the listeners that they can do at home? For sure. So we're going to do the mind reading thing. So anyone who's listening, I would answer two questions, but listen to the words I use because they are important. They've been chosen for a reason. And you're going to answer the question in your in your just in your mind. Don't say it out loud. You could be driving or ride, running or doing whatever you're doing. Just answer it in your head and hold it. And then I'm going to read your mind. Okay, so here's how it goes. So the first question I want you to answer is, I want you to think about something specific that you know really well. Something specific you know really, really well. Cool? You can play along to you guys. Do you want me to say it out loud? No, you don't have to say it out loud. Got it, holding. Uh, Second question. I want you to think of something specific, a memory, something you remember. Something you remember, something specific. Got it? Mm-hmm. Cool. So here's what I know. Uh, this works for 90% of the people. That thing you know really well, that's something specific you know really well, the odds are that it could be taught. You could teach it to someone else. 
And oftentimes it's actually a part of our persona of who we define ourselves as because we have safety in knowing and we like to know things. Yeah. I totally thought about like, like burnout. Like I know all about that. I've studied it. I can teach it. That's what I do. Like it's a big part of my, you know, my expertise. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So you could introduce yourself that way, but it could be taught to you and whatever. And I could have a whole conversation about artificial intelligence and all sorts of future paradigms. Let's not do that. Second question. The second question, the thing that you remember, the memory, the specific memory, it's tagged with three things. So the first is there is emotion. So it's generally, it's highly emotive. So love, lust, fear, hate. Sometimes it's concern, you know, so there's emotion. The second thing is you could not experience it the exact same way twice. You couldn't recreate it the exact same way. And then the third is you shared it with another human being by virtue of you either did it with them or you did it on your own, but you story told someone like eye to eye, not on Facebook or Instagram or something. So it has those three tags. And does that is that true for you? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I actually thought about my when we said goodbye to my dad, which, you know, I've talked about in the podcast, but, you know, highly emotional, highly interpersonal, very much, you know, couldn't be taught. So, yeah. Yeah. And that is not, that's not happening ever again. Yeah. And so here's why that matters. That's, yeah. What's the power of these questions? Yeah. So the second piece, so the first piece is just to show that we really rest on the things that we know and that those things come, come to light easily. The second thing is, and and we've used up a lot of bandwidth, sorry, the first thing, we've used up a lot of bandwidth on our mental shelves around knowing, acquiring information that could be taught. But here's the rub. The thing that actually makes us exceptional, extraordinary, is not the shit that could be taught to everybody else. That makes you average. You just equalize with a bunch of other people who are already equally as capable as you. Like there's, I don't know how many millions of MBAs or psychologists or I don't know. There's millions of them. It makes us pretty average in a way. It's attainable for other people if they choose to chase it down. Yep. I, I always call it like, it's like the smart hoop jumping monkey. Okay, good. So we jumped your hoop. Good job, monkey. And we've arrived. Now what? Now what? So what makes us as individual people and business owners and founders exceptional, what actually propels any one of us any further than anyone else for any good reason is who we are which is the sum of our experiences. It's that straightforward. And so what happens is we tend to sit on our, on our belief around who we are being that first thing, a bunch of stuff we know, as opposed to really buying into and doubling down on the experiences of our lives. And what's worse is the closer we get to mastery, the better we get at the thing we call ourselves, whether it's an accountant or the less we experience new things. So in fact, we get more and more average, the better we get at our craft, which sounds insane, but it's an actual fact. And so the 3E model is all about strategically every day, stocking new ingredients on our mental shelves because we've forgotten how to do it. And if anyone does that exercise, I call the matrix exercise, they'll find big holes in innovation. Like these boxes are all named big holes. It'll hurt, break their heart. But the good thing is you can change it immediately. And so the idea is that you, you engineer situations that have those three E's every day. So emotion, experience, that wouldn't be repeated the exact same way twice. And you embed it by telling the story to someone else. Connecting with another human about it. Yeah. So a small example, I've 
mentioned this one to you, was going to an art gallery opening for 20 minutes. I'm not an artist. I don't know anything about that world, but those people seem really intimidating to me and they're smarter than I am. They see things you don't see or I don't see. Yeah, they're like, and they they kind of, when they communicate, I think they're maybe being snide to me. I don't know. I built up a whole storyline about what artists do at art gallery openings. And uh, I show opening. So I went to one dressed as a regular person and went up to a piece and talked to the person who was standing there looking at it and said, here's what I see in this piece and just said what I saw in my very like, not an educated way. And interestingly, I had a conversation with this person for like 15 minutes and they were educated. They saw one thing the same as I did. But the thing about that that's useful is I walked out of there with my mind on fire, thinking of all sorts of other things. And see, here's what it is. If you're living a regular life, doing all the same things all the time, there's no reason for your mind to show up. You're an autopilot. You're on autopilot. It's called default future. And it's totally fine and probably lovely. But most of us who are wired like us are not particularly interested in that. (laughs) But we struggle with how to re-engage it. So we go on a new holiday to some other new all-inclusive, but effectively do the same thing we always do, but just different. But the challenge is every single day doing like a micro dose of curiosity. And so that's how I worked my way out of my success hangover. And as a result, it's like my mind is on fire. It's like I'm having braingasms all the time. And I am solving problems in the most unique ways because look, I have all sorts of new ingredients, man. Yeah, there's art galleries and surf trips and all these other things that weren't in the daily routine. I mean, I think people think it's got to be extreme and cost a lot of money and it doesn't. Sometimes it's building Legos or like just engaging. Totally. Ask a new question. But we forget to do that because everything has always kind of been okay and worked out in the end. And we and we arrive at these places where it's comfort. But for people like us, comfort is found in the discomfort of pursuit. And embracing that, knowing that and living your life that way is it's the key. Totally. Well... I am so grateful that we had this conversation. You have some mad wisdom to share with the world and I'm so glad you wrote it down. So folks who are listening, you know, this isn't a podcast where I talk a lot about products or books and I don't push things and sell things and all the stuff, but Kelsey's book is really fantastic and it has a a lot of like different ways of thinking. And there's a ton of like great psychology in there that I, I I can endorse, I can get behind. So do pick it up. And thank you so much for your time. If people want to follow all things Kelsey, what's the best way that they can internet stalk you? I think Instagram is my favorite place at the moment. So I'm just at Kelsey Ramsden, R-A-M-S-D-E-N. Or, you know, if anybody has any questions, I'm like the person who loves the random too. Like you can shoot me an email. Admittedly, I may not get to it very quickly, but I will get to it. I like, I like the random, you know, and if anyone has, you know, ideas and, or, or something came to them during this, like shoot me names, it's Kelsey at KelseyRamsden.com. And, uh, and of course the World Wide web, the Google works well and you'll find me all sorts of ways there. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. 
You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.